0: She's sharp, pointed, and insightful.
1: This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
0: Now, how ridiculous. We're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous, and it has to end.
2: It is possible to believe in responsible gun ownership and to believe that there should be regulations on that. Anthony Scalia said that.
0: On Tuesday, we also saw the highest consumer confidence numbers that we have seen since the year 2000. Tuesday is coming quickly. Let's keep America and the American economy moving forward, not backwards. I'm not like other politicians. You've seen what happens. I've kept my promises. And now,
1: Stacey Washington.
2: Welcome back to the show. (laughs) <laughs> so I had someone ask um, in DMs how we handle um, how we handle Halloween and, I, you know, noticing that I haven't been saying happy Halloween or anything today on the show or yesterday. And, and you're not going to hear me do that because we don't celebrate Halloween. And so before some crazed, unhinged Halloween supporter says, what are you, some kind of fundamentalist or Jehovah's Witness? No, you guys know that I'm not a Jehovah's Witness and I'm not... In any way, what I would call a fundamentalist, if fundamentalist means to use some kind of, you know, irrational practice of a religion. In fact, I find it quite rational to stay away from the practice of Halloween. Now, we have on occasion taken our children to, you know, to church for fall festival when they were smaller. But they have, you know, grown up in a household where we just don't celebrate Halloween. Now, for me, that's the way I grew up. My parents didn't celebrate Halloween I didn't celebrate it as a kid. I never went trick-or-treating. I never did any of that stuff. My parents would buy, my sister and I, a basket of candy. We didn't uh, put out decorations. My mom was really great with, you know, arranging pumpkins and fall leaves and things like that, but not not anything that would be construed as, like, jack-o'-lanterns or carving pumpkins or anything like that. And... Of course, being of the permanent tan, we usually had sweet potato pie. and then as an adult, I got into eating pumpkin pie. and so now we do both at Thanksgiving. We have the you know both both pies present because my husband loves the sweet potato, as do I, and the kids love both as well. So and I actually have a really good uh, recipe that I got from my husband's mom, and I use her recipe, that's now my recipe. So to, to answer it quite simply, we just don't practice Halloween. Now, I don't judge people who do. I'm not one of those people who post on Facebook every Halloween about how if you're celebrating Halloween, you're worshiping the devil or anything like that. Um, I've come to a place where I, I find it kind of annoying, and I've gotten past it because the practice of Halloween is actually in some ways bigger than Thanksgiving. Um, people have almost as many or more celebrations surrounding Halloween than they do for Thanksgiving. And I think part of it is because... People really, really enjoy dressing up in costumes. Now, my husband and I have been to costume parties before. We've definitely gone to Mardi Gras parties before. When we were, you know, younger in our kids' school, the parents would have a Mardi Gras party for just the parents and we would go and we would dress up. I was Tyra Banks one time. My husband was Tyra Banks' boyfriend. He actually had a little lapel that said Tyra Banks' boyfriend. And I had a wig on and, you know, doing my best. And so it's not that we're against, you know, dressing up as characters or costumes or anything like that. But I feel like the practice of Halloween In some communities, it is above board, and it's so family-oriented, and it's so fun. And in other places, it's all about scariness, and it really has almost a demonic tinge to it. And so rather than offending people who enjoy the practice of Halloween or enjoy the holiday, I say more power to you if you don't enjoy it like we do and you don't don't celebrate it. You just give your kids some candy and move on, or you don't give them any candy. um, More power to you, too. Um, i'm I'm out of the phase where I feel like I need to convince anybody else about what they should do with it. I've read quite a bit. Um, my husband was happy to adopt the same thing that we did in my family. In other areas, I do the same thing he did in his family, <laughs> like the gumbo tradition at Thanksgiving and Christmas. I make a mean pot of gumbo. It's amazing. No chicken just vegetables and seafood it's awesome but that's a whole nother holiday that we can talk about um, so I that's to answer just just in case you're wondering why I don't have on some kind of like headgear for uh, Halloween headgear starts coming out after this we'll have the 25 days of headbands in December starting on December 1st as we always have and um, I'm, I'm happy to share about that but it's it's just not I don't I don't see it as a big deal unless it's a big deal for you remember what the Bible says about that. You know, if you feel like it's a sin for you, then by all means, abstain. If you feel like it's not a sin for you and you haven't been convicted by the Holy Spirit about it, then, you know, you go forward remembering uh, that your Christian conduct is an example for everyone around you. And we all come to our different places about these American holidays. So uh, that's the the programming note for that. So what do we have on this hour for the show? Well, I'll tell you. We're going to be talking about the Democrats being able to say anything they want to about black folk and get away with it. And, and no, I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. I know you're thinking you covered that. I did, but I have more for you. And then we have Sink Henderson, writer for HBO's The Newsroom, author of Sit Down and Shut Up, How Discipline Can Set Students Free. How's that for a title? We're going to talk to Henderson up next. Um, and then we are also going to be listening to a little bit of audio about our consumer confidence and the economy now I promised you and it's amazing how quickly the time flies on radio um, let's get into a little bit of the um, awesomeness of the president's accomplishments so I you know what I love I love a person who delivers on what they've promised and we all you know we, we all have room to, to work on in this area but We don't expect the person who's the commander in chief to have a big problem with delivering on promises. And, you know, blessings for us. Thanks be to God that we have a president who is at least working his hardest to accomplish what he promised. So we're talking about 173 major wins, but 289 accomplishments in 18 categories. So I promised I would post this. I will. And I also want to give you just the highlights. Now, there was last year at the end of year one of the president's tenure, A list of 81 major Trump achievements and 11 Obama legacy items that have been repealed. We've already gone over that information. Now we're to the new stuff. So first of all, there have been some disappointments. The failure to replace Obamacare, the failure to fund a big infrastructure plan, which I don't know. I kind of feel like when we do the infrastructure stuff, we end up – it's basically a big pork barrel spending package – and you see some of the infrastructure come to fruition, but for the most part, it's just like throwing billions of dollars up in the air, and some people get rich, and everybody else is wondering what just happened and Of course, not building the border wall in the first year um, we're at year two now, we still don't have a, a fully you know completed border wall that's a disappointment. but the president and his cabinet are correct that he has had a distinct lack of coverage over his accomplishments and so I'm here to write that wrong as often as I can. In fact, I'll put it this way. In his first two years, the president has had a remarkable amount of success in promise keeping In economic growth. We have 4.2% is the actual number of GDP growth in the second quarter of 2018. Those are numbers we were told would never return. For the first time in more than a decade, growth is projected to exceed 3% over the, cal- or over the calendar year. That, that's, I mean, you got to give claps for that. For jobs, four million new jobs created since the election and more than three and a half million since the president took office. More Americans are employed now than ever before in the history of this country. Jobless claims are at the lowest level in nearly 50 years. That's longer than I've been alive and probably longer than most of y'all have been alive. Job openings are at an all-time high. Unemployment claims are at a 50-year low. And minority unemployment rates have all recently reached record lows. Female unemployment dropped to 3.6% in May of 2018, the lowest number since 1953. I'm going to skip ahead to American income. The median household income, which you know I quote that number quite a bit on here, was 56000 median household income for a family of four. It is now 61372 median household income for a family of four in 2017. That means that number could be even higher for this year, but we're still in 2018, so we won't know that until next year. Paychecks rose by 3.3% in 2016 and 2017, the most in a decade. Remember, we've had people on who said that can't happen. It's happening. The Council of Economic Advisors found that real wage compensation has grown by 1.4% over the past year, and some 3.9 million Americans have come off of food stamps since the 2016 election. Skipping ahead to American Optimism, which we will cover in the third segment of this hour. Uh, NFIB's Small Business Optimism Index broke a 35-year-old record in the month of August. SurveyMonkey slash CNBC's Small Business Confidence Survey for quarter three of 2018 matched its all-time high. These are things that could be reported in the media without being a fan of the president to simply acknowledge that some of the things that he promised and is working on are having an impact for the lives of Americans. Consumer confidence is at an 18-year high. And 12% of Americans rate the economy as the most significant problem facing our country, which is the lowest level of people having that concern on record. Skipping ahead to business, over $450 billion has already poured back into the U.S., including more than $300 billion in the first quarter of 2018. Remember, Obama said those dollars couldn't come back here. They would never come back here. Business people didn't want to talk about repatriating their dollars. They're back. They're back because the taxes are so low now. It makes sense to bring those dollars into the U.S. so that they can put them to work in our economy. That in and of itself is enough to get a standing ovation from every one of those flunkies over at those news organizations, but you won't see it there, but you'll hear it here. And Steel and aluminum producers are reopening plants across this country. More things that we were told could never happen. The Dow has hit record highs 70 times in 2017 alone, the most ever recorded in one year. If you're not in the market, get in the market. If you're not doing retirement savings, do it. Not because you plan to retire to some beach somewhere to wait for the Lord's return, but because saving and being prudent with your money is wise, and God wants us to save and invest our money. Deregulation. The president achieved massive deregulation at a rapid pace. He completed 22 deregulatory actions for every one new regulatory action during his first year in office. He signed legislation to roll back costly and harmly provisions of Dodd-Frank, bringing relief to credit unions and community and regional banks, which... That's you. That's you and me, taxpaying listeners who live in communities with credit unions. We deserve that relief. Our credit unions deserve that relief. And it's a good thing for him to do from his business expertise. That's what the president brought to us there. Moving ahead to tax cuts. I've covered this so much on the show. Suffice it to say the tax reform package is one of his signature legacy achievements. We need to make those cuts permanent. And moving ahead to worker development, the president established a national council on the American worker to develop a national strategy for training and retraining America's workers for high demand industries, domestic infrastructure. He proposed an infrastructure plan that would utilize $200 billion in federal funds to spur at least $1.5 trillion in infra- infrastructure investment across the country. That has not yet come to fruition, but it's a plan in healthcare. He signed the right to try legislation, expanding health care options for terminally ill patients and so many other things, or at least 20 bullet points under that subject heading. Combating opioids, he chaired a meeting of the 73rd General Session of the UN to discuss the worldwide drug problem with international leaders, and he has started a new initiative to stop the opioid abuse that is roiling the country. Law and order, more U.S. circuit judges, judges have been confirmed in the first year in office than ever before. He confirmed more than two dozen U.S. Circuit Court judges. He followed through on the promise to nominate judges to the Supreme Court who would adhere to the Constitution. He has effectively shifted the court to the right for the foreseeable future, and he possibly could have two more appointments before 2020. And he established a task force to reduce crime and restore public safety in communities, signed an executive order to focus more federal resources on dismantling transnational criminal organizations such as drug cartels. And so much more. Other subject headings on which the president has had numerous accomplishments and promises kept are border security and immigration, trade, energy, foreign policy, defense, veterans affairs, and so much more. I can't get it all to you on this radio program, but suffice it to say 289 accomplishments, promises made, promises kept. I'm happy to report that if he had not done that, I would be castigating him for it. I don't sit here as a representative of the Trump administration, although I'm happy to report I have media credentials for the rally that's in Columbia, Missouri. More on that as things develop. So right now we have just a few seconds left in this segment. I didn't get to my two audio bits, so we'll do that in the third segment because we have Sink Henderson, a writer for HBO's The Newsroom, coming on in the next segment. I think this is an important interview about discipline and students and it's even more interesting to have it coming from someone out of hollywood so i can't wait to have that right after this you stay there get your get your drinks look what i got i got a new if you're watching the live stream look at my new sippy cup it's a water cup but it has a plastic straw it's supposed to be friendly to the environment but i just like the color and also that it keeps drinks cold okay yeah <laughs> we'll be back with more after this stay there Still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's Metashare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. Metashare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to Metashare.
0: Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MetaShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. What does it take for normal people to start slaughtering others? A commentary in the Jerusalem Post with the title The Genocide Mechanism showed how demonization could lead to genocide. The writer talked about a very specific kind of demonization, and the example he used was Rwanda. In 1994, the majority Hutu population was able to massacre some 800,000 Tutsis. The violence was unimaginable. Neighbors slaughtering neighbors, mostly with machetes. The estimates are about 9,000 men, women, and children were slaughtered every day. How does something so awful happen? Well, the answer is demonization. The Hutus were taught that the Tutsis were cockroaches and snakes. Tutsi women were portrayed as cunning seductresses who used beauty and sexual powers to conquer the Hutus. There were also warnings on the radio that the Tutsis were about to attack them, so they needed to attack first to protect themselves. Step one was to dehumanize the enemy with all sorts of false statements. Step two was to present a clear danger. Then you merely need to convince people that they need to act in their own self-defense. The commentary explains how this type of demonization has been used by Hamas and the Palestinian authority to describe Jews as loathsome and dangerous animals. Could something like this happen in this country? We would hope not. But you do see some similarities. Look at how the left portrays President Trump, Republican members of Congress, and even conservative speakers on college campus. They are the equivalent of Hitler. They're not worthy of any respect and represent a clear and present danger to various sectors of society. They want to put people in detainment camps and even march them off to gas chambers. This is the reminder that hateful words and demonization can lead to horrific acts against other human beings. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. From Graceworks Pictures. Indivisible, based on the true story of Army Chaplain Darren Turner and his wife Heather. Rated PG 13. Now playing IndivisibleMovie.com.
1: You can download episodes of Stacey of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family
2: Talk. Welcome back to the show. Also, pray for me. I've been invited to go on uh, a midterm election panel on MSNBC. You guys, Al Sharpton. I've gotten an invitation to go on the show. I know. I know. I must be looking for some fun. (laughs) As I said, yes. (laughs) So that'll be in a couple of weeks. Um, I'm really excited about welcoming our next guest. And please forgive me. I may be pronouncing your name incorrectly. And if I am, I want to be corrected so that I can have the proper pronunciation. Sink Henderson, writer for HBO's The Newsroom, author of Sit Down and Shut Up, How Discipline Can Set Students Free. Am I right? Wrong? What am I doing?
1: Sink K. Henderson.
2: Sink K. Okay. Sink K. Thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Hey, no worries. You know, as I told your producer, you know on different sides politically. I'm a liberal Democrat. You're uh, conservative. But I think there's some common points for um, all of us to agree on and come together and talk about public schools and that kind of thing.
2: Well, and I'm excited about chatting with you about this subject because I'm a former elected school board member. I served as vice president and secretary on our local board of education, and I was elected to that board. I also served an appointment there. I volunteered at every level of the district, and I was really just, it, it wasn't a partisan issue for me when, when our kids were in public school. And so when I see the title of your book, Sit Down and Shut Up How Discipline Can Set Students Free, you know, I was, I was like, thank you, Demetrius. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So tell us about the book. Why'd you write it?
1: Well, as you said, I'm a writer. Um, I have a, I'm have a bit of a bum with my writing habits, to be honest. I, <laughs> if, I, if it were up to me, I'd be up to four in the morning. Um, so a friend of mine had a charter school, and I, my parents were educators, and they said, you should come and substitute, you know, it'll give you a way to organize your day and that kind of thing. Hmm. So I did it, um, and on my first day, man, this kid called me, as they say in the South, everything but a child of God, oh. um, and just came at me like nobody's business. And I kicked him out of class, sent him out with the campus aide. Um, and about 10 minutes later, he came back into my class with a note saying, okay, to return to class. There was no detention, no suspension, no call home. And this was kind of commonplace, but I taught him some tough schools, I'll just say that. Um, and I thought, you know, as I went on with my, but at the same time, so that was my maybe my first period. But later in the day, I had a few terrific experiences. So I'm still very committed to education and public education. But I also thought there's a story here about what's really going on, and to really disadvantaged for the suffering, underserved schools. Um, and it's kind of a bold thesis, which is that it's not the teachers, it's the kids. Mm. Um and I sort of unraveled really what was going on. I'll just tell you briefly. And as an African-American, I think it's important to say it's not just black inner city kids. It's not just poor black kids. It's poor Thank white you. kids in the Midwest, too. Mm-hmm. There's a quote from this book, Kill um, Billy Elegy," which I'm sure you've heard of.
2: I've read white. it. It's an amazing book. I cried and cried book? and cried. Oh, my goodness. And I
1: say every black person, liberal conservative, needs to read that book.
2: I, I agree with you. Because mm.
1: we, are so, we are so often the ones that are put out for front as the ones who are on, you know, cheating welfare and poor and not doing well and that kind of thing. And it really is is a terrible thing to say, maybe, but it's not a race thing.
2: No, it's Class, not.
1: The loss of jobs, you know, other reasons. It affects everybody. Um, and Poverty you, does please.
2: not respect uh, melanin content poverty is poverty is poverty and and the ramifications of it are similar no matter what the ethnic background i I want to ask you when you said you were subbing at first what yep. what age group was that
1: i was every i was everywhere but mainly middle school and high school oh. <laughs> so that was the focus so and i'll tell you the most the thing that told me there was a book here is later on at that same school about a week later a, teacher who had gone to school there as an undergraduate and as a high school student said, you know, the school was always tough, Mm -hmm. but we used to fight, the students used to fight each other. Now they fight the teacher. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, that's so true. I have cousins who are gang members. They never cursed at their teacher. They never went off on their teacher, And I couldn't figure out why that shift had happened, why kids went from sort of, you know, cursing each other out, fighting each other, to now, doing that with the teacher, and I discovered it shocking, I was coming home one day um, driving in my car, Jay-Z came on the radio, the husband of Beyonce, and the <laughs> interviewer asked him, um, what was the impact of crack cocaine coming into your neighborhood? And he said the most stunning thing, something i never heard, not violence, not more police, not more murders. He said it destroyed the authority figure. And I was like, what is he talking about? So mm-hmm. I started to research it, and I listened to him, and crack cocaine was essentially a child's economy because of the mandatory drug sentences that were put down on drug users and drug sellers they gave the drugs to kids to sell so you had kids as young as nine or ten making money in the and it was the only economic game in town because all the jobs had fled the inner city mm. and so you had crack cocaine was so powerful like the opioid crisis now that it was so popular. You had the adults who were essentially cracked out zombies chasing this high. And you had kids selling to them and paying their mama's life bill. And mm-hmm. there are economists who said you cannot underestimate the impact of crack cocaine on poor inner city neighborhoods. It swept through those neighborhoods like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And we look at what's going on with the opioid crisis, and this is why I say it's a universal thing. The opioid crisis in the Midwest with these white, poor, white areas where jobs have fled. Um, and they're going through the same thing. Those those neighborhoods are being destroyed by opioids and joblessness and the hopelessness that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of the book. And then I just went on and learned so much about the impact, of fatherlessness, about the fact that you know a lot of schools won't suspend kids now. And so the problem I find is on the left, on the right. Well, say on the left, the left only wants to deal with the the, the source. So. You can't suspend kids if there's poverty. You can't discipline kids if they come from a broken home. Well, that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. But unfortunately, the right sometimes only wants to do the punish, punish, punish. You've got to deal with the source, and you've got to deal with the symptoms. And the book tries to talk about all of that and just say at the end of the day, if these kids aren't behaving white, black, rich, poor, they're not going to get anywhere in life, and that's just it.
2: Wow. Okay, so you just unpacked that beautifully. And and I got to I got to commend you for cuz I I accept your acknowledgment that we're on different ends of the political spectrum. Yep. But the indictment that you just laid down that people on the right tend to be more law and order. It's like, you know, the rule is the rule. You you yep. you did the crime, you do the time. And then on the left it tends to be more, well, you have disadvantages in your background and because of those, you shouldn't reap the repercussions of your actions. Yep. And the answer is somewhere in the middle because as parents, yeah, parents don't, I have no time in our parenting journey, my husband and I, have we ever been strictly law and order or strictly, well, you, you know, we made you stay up last night traveling home from vacation. So today you don't have to do anything that we tell you to do. We've never been on those, those, those extremes. We've always been in the middle where. You know, your actions and your consequences are going to match what you've done, but there's always some mercy there because we right. know these are people and they're going to improve over time with the proper direction. So can you give us any any insight into what the what you're advocating for this? It's a, it's a new paradigm. Let's let's face it. Cinque, this is not what's happening in a lot of these buildings, that there's a middle ground where kids are punished, but they also know that people care for them. How, what does that look like?
1: I'll say a couple of things, and you have to, you know, I hope your readers will take a look at the book. It's a real humane look, but also a grown-up. You know, I'm an adult now, so kids can't just run around and do what they want. I would say there are a couple of things. There are no immediate sort of short-term solutions. For people, banning suspensions a bad idea. You can't mm-hmm. not. not got to be able to draw a line and say, mm-hmm. you went too far today. Go home and bring your mom and come back when your mom is with you. But if I would say one very important thing for boys especially is more male teachers. The teaching force is 80% in public schools, 80% women, 80% female. That is really difficult for boys, black or white, who grow up without fathers in their home. They need those surrogate father figures. And they really need them. There's a chapter in the book that I think one of the best chapters is that I have this theory about the real role of fathers in a boy's life. I don't know. I know we're probably running short on time, but I would. No, we still say, have a
2: few minutes. You can, Please, okay. please expound. This is First this quickly, is good.
1: Um, I, I was listening to um, a bull, um, some middle school kids talk, and one boy was like, you know, I'm really worried about seeing my dad this weekend because when he gets mad, he punches me in the chest and knocks the wind out of me, right? Mm. And then another kid was like, yeah, me too. And I was listening. I was smiling because I actually knew that they were bragging about the strength of their dad, right? Cool. And then there was there was this black older black guy on Twitter. He was saying, Fellas, what would, what was the, what, what happened to you when you first uh, you know, stepped to your or tested the father the father figure in your life? And there was a hysterical response. This guy, I was thirteen, I was bigger than my dad and I said something slick. I woke up on my back with his foot on my chest. Or he mm-hmm. but he's still my best friend. <laughs> All these hysterical stories about these boys testing their dad and their dad saying, Uh, I'm in charge here. Mm -hmm. And what I realize is that boys who grow up without fathers, particularly in neighborhoods where there are not fathers, every boy challenges the adult in their life, right? Mm -hmm. But if you challenge your mom and you're 13 and you realize you're stronger than your mom, bigger than your mom, faster than your mom, in your brain, you realize that you can in some way hurt or kill your mom, you think you're an adult. But But when you have a dad and you try to step to him and he's 13 and he pulls you up by the side of your neck, by the side of your collar and says, who are you talking to it's a whole nother situation for you. realize, oh, maybe I 'm still just a kid, and I need to get in line and so wow. I realized the actual physical presence of a father, just that press because when you are surged with I did it when I had was big and I had hormones, I stepped to my dad and he put me back in my place with a quickness, but he did it with love. when boys grow up without dads in these neighborhoods where there are not dads, they think they're men before they are mm. And that physical presence cannot be. And I'm a liberal. I I know that we're in the age of gender doesn't matter and that sort of thing. Well, sometimes it does.
2: Mm, thank you for saying that, because I just I one of the things that I think is so heartbreaking is that you can afford to have these kind of really nouveau riche ideas about gender. When you yep. come from a two-parent household, and generally, yep. generationally speaking, you yep. you've never even maybe had a divorce in your family, you know, or yep. if there was divorce, there was immediate remarriage, yeah, really quickly, And
1: yeah, really really yep.
2: and 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 never any economic uh, malaise that that presented yep. itself as a result of that. When you have yep. that in your as your just the history that you can remember for the foreseeable past. You can say at all, things everybody like gender. In
1: family's married. Everybody, yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, and you're going to marry somebody and and live a very traditional life. You can say things like gender doesn't matter, but for our inner city residents, where you know it, it's a life or death issue for these boys, yeah. because it, as you yeah. said, when you when you first realize, hey, I'm pretty strong. I think I'm stronger than my mom. Well, that's never happened at our house, but I have had our son kind of challenge my authority before, and instead of having to handle it myself, I can just say to him. I think when we talk about this with your father, you're going to have a different understanding. And sometimes just that that statement. Yes,
1: yes. It doesn't matter whether you're a liberal or conservative. That stuff matters. And so because one of the, you know, if you don't have it, that's why those male teachers matter, particularly Mm -hmm. elementary school, middle school, and high school too, but most, they're not enough in elementary There's And that male presence, aside from role modeling, aside from the love, that strong presence of someone who... You got, for a boy, you got to be 20 before you can really test your dad. And by that time, you don't want to test it because you're mature <laughs> enough to know better. So that's one quick solution. I also think we need to bring back reform schools, but not make them little mini jails like they used to be. You should just throw kids out, put them in these reform schools, and they would just hellholes, excuse my language. They mm-hmm. really need to be places where kids really can learn and have second chances. There's some great reform schools. Call them alternative schools. Change the name of them. They can't just be places to punish, punish, punish. They have to be places where kids can learn shop, can learn home ec, can learn can learn to work with their hands, um, and also learn to control their rage, control their emotions, control their imp- you know, have impulse control. So those are just right off the bat what I would say are two of the recommendations just from my year. Um, and it's so important, as I say, for black kids, for white kids, for poor kids, for fatherless kids. It could not be more important. I really hope that, you know, there's so much division. I'm obviously a liberal, not, you know, um, Democrat. But there's so much that we can, I think, come together on this conversation of education and where it well, is important in all of uh, kids' development.
2: Well, I, I, I will close out by saying this. First of all, thank you again so much, St. K. Henderson, for coming on the show. Um, yeah. You came on knowing that we would not be politically aligned, but on this particular subject— And I believe others, I believe there really are places where we can sit down and have agreements and and conversation, especially coming from your informed perspective where you've been on the ground there. So you're coming from a place of it it really doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum the solution comes from. What matters is that we get these solutions out there so that kids can really flourish regardless of where they're coming from, their home life, etc., and the school place that the school building is kids spend more time at school than they do awake at home Absolutely. and that is where we can really solve some problems and i have to say i respect you for um bucking the the current trend on you know saying gender isn't important the fact is it is super important and the groups that are most impacted by its lack of evidence are the ones who are least considered by those who really are you know they find this whole gender thing to be super cool and in vogue and you have to yeah. follow the rules but they're not impacted by the negative side effects yeah. um i want to give That's everybody perfect. the website it's sinkehenderson.com yeah. and it's c i n q u e henderson.com yeah. and i have i'm, the book, I'm sit on down,
1: the website let's
2: you know
1: you, the more it gets out there the more there'll be a conversation about this i'm hoping people who have read it have really positively responded to it so I'm hoping people are able to pick it
2: up. Well, I this is what I'm doing. So I just already sent Demetrius a text message saying that we hope to have you back, and that I'm recommending your book to my book club. It's a conservative no women's book club. So, no yeah, but you know what? We them. love reading. To come
1: on and talk to them. There's actually a wonderful, beautiful religious moment, and I'm I'm actually the son of a preacher. Um, I think I'll have to talk to your book club if you want me to.
2: You 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 better believe we're going to be reaching out because we love That's a good great. guest speaker and we have we have the we have the space to have to have you in and 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 have a good sized group of women listen to your chat. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. Thank you for this good work that you're doing, um, and for being willing to have conversations across the aisle. We need it, and you're you're really you're out there. It's it's wonderful to have you on the show. Hope to speak to you again. Have a fantastic evening, St. Henderson. Absolutely. Thanks so
1: much. You guys take
2: care. All right. Take care. That. That was fantastic. We'll be back with more. If you'd like to call in, it's 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Back with more right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Blount County School District Superintendent Rodney Green caved to the freedom from religion jihadis complaint about student-led prayer at football games, and parents immediately fought back. Students were using the school's public announcement system to broadcast the short prayer, and the freedom from fun folks felt that that made it an endorsement. Instead of consulting parents, the decision was made after consulting attorneys. At the next game, aggravated moms and dads stood and said the Lord's Prayer in unison without the assistance of a PA system. The next week, the spirit of capitalism took over, and the parents made t-shirts with the Lord's Prayer on them and sold those at a breakneck pace. And the shirts are cute, stylish even. Two takeaways here. First off, if taxpayers pay your salary, consult with them before making huge changes, especially if prompted by the freedom from fun people. Secondly, and ultimately, it's up to us to keep our religious freedom. Don't forget it. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. American Family Radio.
0: Samaritan's Purse.
2: And your family.
0: Together, we can bring good news and great joy to needy children.
2: Simply pack an Operation Christmas Child shoebox with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then drop off your shoebox gift during National Collection Week. Good news!
0: Visit AFR.net, click the Operation Christmas Child banner, and then get packing.
1: You're not singing to your neighbor, you're not singing to your friend, you're not singing to the choir.
0: Dr. Tony Evans says that when worship isn't focused on God, it isn't worship.
1: He's faithful, consistent, worthy of your worship. Somebody ought to bless that name.
0: A look at taking our faith more seriously, starting with worship, this week on The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans. From America's election headquarters... We are here to announce another bold and historic action to bring down the price of prescription drugs. Amidst the October surprises of Kavanaugh, the Caravan, and the Pipe Bomber, the president's announcement to bring down drug prices is testament to how health care and Obamacare remain top of mind for many voters. The ACA's popularity is at an all-time high, with 54% of likely voters rating it favorably, Democrats are spending millions in ads to make that point. I support the Affordable Care Act. Polling data on Obamacare has also moved many Republicans to the left. I'm Josh Hawley. I support forcing insurance companies to cover all pre-existing conditions. No matter who gains control of Congress in November, the debate over Obamacare may intensify. Proof of that old Washington adage that it is easier to give than to take away. In Washington, Doug McElway, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We want everybody to have a chance in Indiana and in America. And my offices reflect that, both on the campaign side and on the Senate side. Our state director is Indian American, but he does an amazing job. Our director of all constituent services. She's African-American, but she does an even more incredible job than you could ever imagine. It isn't their race or their religion. It's the incredible person that they are. But at the same time, they have to have a chance. They have to have an opportunity. And that's my responsibility, and I've done it in every office I've had, and I've done it in every campaign I've had, because my campaigns And our Senate office should reflect the face of Indiana.
2: Mm. So only a Democrat could get away with saying that they have employed someone who's a minority, but they're doing a good job in spite of that. So the inference there is that the person that is employed by him is operating at expectation levels in spite of their inherent deficiency, which is that they are a minority. Just imagine Mitt Romney said we have binders full of women. In other words, binders full of female candidates because we were so intent on hiring women and making sure that our staff reflected the population that we had binders that only had female candidates. And they the liberal media took binders full of women and beat him over the head with it. This man just said he has an Indian American and a black American on staff in leadership positions, and they're doing well in spite of their race. Where do we even find these people? Donnelly. Um, it's he's a he's a Democrat running for office. Some of my staff are minorities, but they do an amazing job. You know, after listening to Hillary Clinton talk, you'd think he would have maybe maybe he didn't hear what she said. You know, maybe he didn't hear the joke. Maybe maybe it just doesn't matter because he's a Democrat and he can say anything he wants to. Let's go to the phones real quick before we pivot over to Stacey Abrams support for banning AR-15s. So we got Joy in Colorado. Joy, thank you for calling the show today.
3: Hi, Stacey. I just wanted to, you know, yesterday we had the, the young lady that was calling about immigration and how she was, you know, saying we should, you know, get folks to come in. She was hiring people and bringing in a lot of, you know, the, the immigrant workers because mm-hmm. there were Americans that didn't want to do the job. Mm-hmm. And I work with folks that are here in Colorado looking for jobs and homeless people that are looking for jobs because they couldn't find jobs. And I just totally disagreed with her stance on the, the, the way she was hiring people. I've been through Garden City, Kansas, where they are doing a lot of the hiring of immigrants. And they're not really assimilating into um, American way of living. And I just, you know, if you go into the high school, they have these, um, they have to do all these multiple translations. They have mm-hmm. to get um, translators. And I was like, where is this lady um, doing her study?
2: Because I, she's I don't not know. Coming into America, you know? It was um, just such a mess, was wasn't it? It was just bad listening to her. It was. It was. And Joy, I felt like, She gave up on minority Americans like her attitude was they don't want to work or they're not good employees. They don't show up. And so that's a blanket statement about all minority employees. And you're you're working in the field as well. I don't know where she got her data, but I know what I'm reading is that Americans want to work. And when the immigrants are deported or at least apprehended, then those job openings are filled by Americans and a lot of them are black.
3: Exactly. And I mean, I can't begin to tell you how many people will come to my office and be like, Miss Joy, how can I get a job? They were like, I will do anything. I mean, people, some folks had even some kind of degree, associate's degree, but they just could not find jobs. And they were just like, where can I work? Mm. I will take any kind of work. And they weren't able to find these, any kind of job. And I was like, man, if I could call up and have networks of people in different states and just be like, hey, can I call, can, can you hire this person? I will bust them to you. You know, because these were people that were just so willing to work. That I know They it. were just willing to uproot their families and just get a job.
2: I know it. I know, you know you're telling so the that's truth. That's all I had
3: to say about this lady. She was off. She was just off. Thank data you. And on her work. So I, that was just what I wanted to say about
2: her. She was all awesome. thank you, Joy. Thank you. Thank you for your real world experience. Um and for sharing that here on the show. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just I really was kind of ticked off when I got off the show yesterday chatting with Linda Chavez. And the reason I was so upset about it is because, you know, I just expect people to be above board if they're gonna be um I, I'm going to need you to, first of all, she was interrupting and I thought that was kind of rude, but you know, whatever. I'm going to need you to be able to deal in more than just, you know, she said she had these studies that prove that, um, they're assimilating. Well, we have the data from the American schools across the country, the K through 12 educational facilities that, yeah, these kids are being taught English at school, but it's not assimilating at home because the parents aren't learning English and the parents are working off books. And they're working for employers that are happy to have them work off book because they don't have to pay the Social Security and employment taxes. You know, every employer is responsible for paying that for you when they hire you, which is they pay you a certain amount and some of that money goes straight to the government for your Social Security. And some of it goes for employment tax. And then, you know, you reconcile that at the end of the year. And if you're operating outside the system, you're saving a lot of money as an employer. That's not right. People shouldn't be able to cheat at hiring people who are here and they're willing to work for a lot less. The other thing that Linda never addressed was the assertion that these these, these illegal immigrants lower the wage for everyone else. They lower the wage. So the minimum wage can be seven twenty five. dollars but if you've got 10,000 people in your city, because you're a sanctuary city, who are willing to work for $5 an hour off book, they don't need medical benefits and you don't have to pay, em- pay em- employment tax for them, and they don't want two 15-minute breaks and a 30-minute lunch. They don't know they're owed that. They're not going to get up and use the bathroom. They're not checking their phones. And I know there's this thing about people saying, well, you know, Americans are so entitled. Yeah, we're Americans. Miss me with your talk about us being entitled. How about you get out there and you offer some incentives for people to come to work? How about you get creative with your employment and make some offers to people and you run your business above board? You will make money in this country. You know, if you don't like the way the regulations are squashing your opportunities, vote for somebody who will have less regulations for you. But don't blame Americans. So, yeah, there are bad employees out there who are Americans. But there are great employees out there, and there are plenty of desperate people who see this new economy, and they've made mistakes, but they deserve another chance. And American employers should not be able to skip over them and refuse to employ them because they've got cheap labor just sitting out there desperate for anything they can get. $5 a day here. Did you hear that audio clip of the man? He's uh, in the the, uh, caravan, the horde of invaders, and the Fox News interviewer said, hey, you know." What are you doing? And he said, I'm actually opting to stay here in Mexico. He said, oh, okay, so you're taking the asylum. He said, yep, they're going to give me a worker card and they're going to give me medical insurance. They're going to help me find a place to stay. And then he said, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to work here for a year and in a year I should be able to make $3,300 so I can pay a coyote to get me into the country illegally because I can see now that my asylum claim won't be honored. That's what he told the Fox News interviewer. What sticks out about that to me It's obviously the guy is totally lawless. He doesn't care anything about our laws. But second of all, he's going to work for a whole year to make $3,300 when he could come to America and make $3,300 in two or three months, or maybe even less than that, working on construction or something like that. There's wrong actors on both sides of this. The, The employers, some of them are Republicans, but they like the cheap labor. The Democrats, they want the votes. The people themselves who want to come here, they don't care what our laws are. They just want to make a living. It's a bad thing and it needs to be shut down. Um, And, uh, you know, there's there's been some assertions that uh, the guest yesterday that she talked down to me. Well, you know, that you know, that doesn't bother me. And the reason why is because people usually assume this high and mighty. I was doing civil rights marches before you were born. What relevance does that have now? If we if we we're going to use that same logic, the Reverend Jesse Jackson was marching for civil rights and also advocating against abortion, but now he advocates for abortion. So do we do we go with the old guy or do we go with what we're seeing now? I don't care what you did before I was born. Good for you. What I care about is what you're advocating now. And she was advocating for leaving American citizens in the dust and creating a new third world system right here within the the confines of America. And I just wasn't having it. So now we're going to quickly run through the rest of what I have for you in today's show. Lots of content today. We probably could have done like, I don't know, but we, we, we're not even going to engage in that because we're loving what we have right now. This, this is awesome. So now you have Stacey Abrams, gubernatorial candidate in Georgia. She talks about banning AR-15s, refuses to say whether or not she would confiscate them from Georgians. I know we have a huge audience in Georgia, numerous stations there. Let's listen to her. It's number two. I know that the most responsible gun owners understand that they have the responsibility for the firearms and making sure that only responsible people have those firearms. That's why I believe in a background check. I believe in a three day waiting period. I believe that those who commit domestic violence and stalking should not have access to weapons. I do not believe that weapons of mass destruction like the AR fifteen belong in civilian hands. Do so you think I don't should think be any- I
0: do. I think they should be prohibited civilian
2: use. I've shot an AR-15 and I think you probably have too. And while it's an amazing amount of power, it also is an amazing amount of destruction. So she'd ban the AR-15, but she wouldn't ban the other long gun that's made of wood that has the same destruction, destructive power. I too have fired an AR-15. In fact, I've built one. Oops, I got you one up, uh, Stacey Abrams, since we're talking about who all fired one. I not only have fired one, I own one. I built it myself from the sc- screws, pins, and uh, little, little pinions, all that stuff. Built it with my own two hands. And I can tell you, um, the AR-15 is no more destructive than your shotgun. It only holds more ammunition. And there are other guns that have the same functionality as the AR-15 that don't have the all-black presentation that are just as deadly. If she's fired an AR-15, good for her, but that doesn't mean she has the right to tell Georgians they can't own one. She doesn't understand the Heller decision. She doesn't understand the Second Amendment. And I'm happy to teach her. Shall not be infringed. Enough said. That's it. So, Rebecca in Michigan, thank you so much for calling the show today.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. So, I was just calling in about your, um, you were talking about the jobs earlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. How it is in every state, but I know that there are we can't even get people to show up for work here. They built Little Caesars Arena, and the construction company is getting fined because they were offering people between 30 and forty dollars an hour to show up, and they had to hire a certain amount of Detroit City workers, and they didn't because they couldn't get them to show up for work. We have houses on my street that can't even be completed because the workers don't show up for work and they're getting paid livable wages. You can't tell me 25 to $35 an hour is in a livable wage.
2: That is a livable wage, but I, I can give you a solution to that. The solution is cut off all of that state money. That if you have a card where you can buy enough food to survive and you don't have to work, then you're not going to show up to work. So if you cut out all of that state aid, then people would show up for those jobs because that would be their only source of income. You know why people like you and I show up for work? Because we're not getting any money. Yeah. Exactly.
3: And and, And they're also getting paid under the table so they don't claim that so then they... Then exactly. They, they have Medicaid, their gig economy
2: jobs. They're stamps. doing hair, whatever they're, they're getting paid in other ways. That's why they don't have to show up to two traditional jobs. Cut all of that out. All of a sudden they're like you and me, we know we're going to work because we, that's our one source of getting any income. We don't have EBT cards. We don't have checks or anything coming from anywhere else. Everything we get, we have to work for. That's how you solve that. It's not because that Americans aren't employable.
3: That, right. And but <laughs> <laughs> take you, away their you, benefits so they'll show up for work but
2: thank you, you know, there it I, is I hear
3: all the time
2: that that's cruel it's not cruel it's the way you and i are living there's nothing cruel about that thank you rebecca for calling the show um we're actually going to save over our conference board segment about consumer confidence for tomorrow's show let's have a final quick call keith in michigan you got about 30 seconds what's your comment
3: well, it's something that you already know about, but I just want everybody else
0: on the radio or Facebook to understand. AR does not stand for assault rifle, it's armor no. light rifle. Has armor nothing light to rifle do about shooting people or anything. It's a hunting rifle or sports rifle. It That's is. It.
2: And the reason why it's the most popular rifle is because it's lightweight and it has low recoil, meaning small women can fire it without bruising their shoulder it's just ease of use and most people use it for hunting but it is also one of the top home defense rifles and that it's like neck and neck in ownership with shotguns 12 gauge and 20 gauge shotguns which by the way if you've ever fired a 20 gauge shotgun you know you'd prefer to fire an AR15 but i any one of those makes a great home defense rifle he's right it's armalite rifle that's the brand name it's not it doesn't have anything to do with assaulting anything um we have the best callers. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you from the Heartland Citizens. Until tomorrow, Stacy on the right.